Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are one of the very few places tonight that's having church. So when you go out this week and hear about how terrible the preacher at 10 Mile is, that's fine. But I want you to know there is nowhere that I would rather be tonight than right here with you. And, um, and so I want to thank you for coming. I understand that some people couldn't and they had a lot going on, but I think there is no better way to honor and celebrate the Lord as we enter into a new year than to be together worshiping the Lord. And uh, as we've been going through 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, King David has passed away. Uh, King Solomon is now in charge. And it would seem that everything is going well. He has avoided the challenge to his kingship. Adonijah has stepped back. It has all been set that the future should be great for Solomon. That everything should be just like it is supposed to be as this new season of life begins. But just as many times in our own life, things happen. Things come up. Challenges arise. I want you to remember the verses that we looked at the last time we were together and looked at this chapter in 1 Kings chapter 2 in verses 10 through 12. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Don't miss this verse. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. So you would think, all right, a firm foundation, all is well. All that is going to happen now is upward and onward. But tonight I want to show you that leadership sometimes requires a reset. Sometimes it requires you and I to be blindsided to be surprised, to be taken off guard, but yet that does not limit what God is trying to do in our lives. And so tonight I hope that you'll know that, that while your life might seem like it has hit a series of roadblocks, whether it is health, whether it is loss, whether it is struggles in your family, but you cannot believe and you cannot Believe the lies that Satan tells you that whatever the storm that you're going through is the final destination that God has for you. And so tonight as we look through this chapter, I hope to show you how God was at work even in the challenges. And so if you're taking notes tonight, I hope that you'll write down, not all second chances are taken advantage of. Not all second chances are taken advantage of. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2 with me tonight, starting in verse 13. Now Adonijah, that's the son who tried to steal the kingdom. The son of Haggith came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And so she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Then he said, now you have ever probably been in a conversation like this. Someone starts talking about something. You say, I don't want to hear anything about it. Let's talk about something else. Okay, not a problem. But let me tell you, 
And it's like, no, I just said I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be a part of that. She, she told him, she said, are you coming peaceably? That means for the good of the kingdom, for her well-being, for the well-being of her son. And he says, absolutely. And look what he goes on to say. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. He is going to her knowing that she is the reason, she is the vehicle that God used to keep Solomon on the throne. This is almost like a backhanded swipe, a backhanded compliment, you might say. Well, now you know that's not what I meant, but... Now I'm just telling you the truth in love, but... The kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over. That word means taken or grasped out of someone's hand. And has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said, say it. Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammites as a wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Now this might not seem like a big deal. If you remember, this young lady was the servant of King David. She is the one that took care of him as his health failed. And if you remember whether or not Anytime a king died, all of his concubines, his wives, his servants were taken by the next king. It was a sign of ownership. And so what Abinijah does is he comes to King David's wife, Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, and says, you took the kingdom from me, but at least I could get this wife as a consolation prize. She says, okay, that makes sense. But what she doesn't realize is what Adonijah is doing is now that King David is gone, he is looking for his opportunity to steal the throne. But you said it just said that the kingdom was firmly established. When that was written, that is written from God's perspective, from the perspective that it's as it should be. But you've probably lived long enough to know that just because you believe something doesn't mean someone else does. I always get a kick out of that. Someone will say, Jake, you're a wonderful pastor. And I'll say something like, well, I can take you to about five people that would disagree with you strongly. Or someone say, well, that's a wonderful church. And you could say, well, I can probably find you a few people that would have a different opinion. And so even though it was firmly established by God, it was firmly established in the mind of King Solomon, that doesn't mean that the enemy was trying to work. And in your life, you can think your marriage has never been better. Your finances have never been stronger. Your relationship with the Lord has never been better. But that doesn't mean that Satan's not over here with a totally different opinion. That marriage is one fight away. That family is one death away. That church is one argument away. Don't think just because God has you in a good place today that God has protected you, God has provided for you, that Satan looks at you and says, the battle's over. I'm done trying to get to them. I'm going to put my darts and my arrows in my bag. I'm taking my ball and going home. 
No. Friends, when you think God has established you the most, when God has blessed you the most, when God is working in your life the most, you need to know it is at that moment that Satan is scheming the most. That those people who are being used by him are scheming and planning the most. That's why always, everyone always says that churches should pray in their times of difficulty. But friends, you ought to be praying in times of abundance just as much as you are in times of discouragement. Because why? Satan is always on the prowl. Adonijah is looking for any crack that he can find to say maybe King David, now that he's gone, I can wiggle my way back to the throne. Do you remember what he said? He told her it was mine. And it was taken from me. All the people wanted me. He's trying to cause her to realize and to doubt what she has done. And tonight, friends, that's how Satan will work with you. You say, this is a new year. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to be committed to church. I'm going to live a Christian witness at work. You say, I'm ready now. Let's go. The old is behind me. I'm starting brand new. Friends, I hope that's your heart tonight. I hope that's your mindset. But I hope that you know that Satan didn't just step back and say, by golly, they thought positive thoughts. They've been listening to Joel. I'm just going to leave them alone. That's not how it works. Satan wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to steal the blessings that God has given you. Remember what happened in Adonijah's life. Adonijah had tried to steal the throne, but Solomon showed mercy. If you remember back in 1 Kings chapter 1 in 52 and 53, then Solomon said, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them down from the altar and he came and fell down before Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. He had already been spared. He had already been shown mercy. But yet the first opportunity he had, he forgot all about grace. He forgot all about his second chance. He forgot all about mercy. And friends, tonight, that is how people are. But friends, don't let that be how you are. If God's been good to you, if God's provided for you, if God's taken care of you, don't forget the goodness of God at the first opportunity to run. We see this very same thing in Matthew chapter 18, and I'm not going to read it all tonight just for the sake of time. But if you remember, there was a certain king who wanted to settle all of his accounts. And there was one who could not pay. And the servant fell down before the master and said, you know, I can't pay you. I don't have it right now. Uh, show me patience and I will. And if you remember in that passage of Scripture, the king said, I forgive you of all of your debts. I forgive you of all of it in verse 27. And immediately after that man had been forgiven, listen to what it says in verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. If you remember, that fellow servant fell down and begged for mercy. But that servant said, no, you will rot in jail until you pay me every cent. If you remember how it goes, the king hears and says, you are a wicked servant. Listen to what it says in verses 34 and 35. 
And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And Jesus says these words, So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What that means is when God shows you and I grace and mercy, who are we to take that second chance that God gave us and not extend it to someone else? If God is willing to forgive me, who am I to not forgive someone else? If God who is willing to take my punishment on the cross, to take the punishment for my sins, which are many, if I am not willing to forgive a person for one offense, What Jesus says is you are not forgiven and you will not be. It's called trampling on the grace of God. Tonight, if you're glad that God gave you a second chance, never forget that God can give someone else a second chance. If you're thankful tonight that God forgave you, never forget that God can forgive someone else. Second thing I want to show you tonight from this passage of Scripture is leading means knowing that some people are being used by others. Leadership means knowing that some people are being used by others. Look here in verse 19 with me. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. That word for for means on behalf of. She thinks the least I could do is give him a wife if we took the kingdom from him. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother so that she sat at his right hand. This is a sign of respect. He is showing his mother that he loves her, that he cares about her, that he takes her advice very seriously. It's a a thing that, that many of us should remember and be reminded of when God has used someone in your life that we should be thankful for them, that we should remember how God has used someone to bless us. It goes on and says, in verse 20, Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. She was not trying to be sneaky. She was not trying to be dishonest. She thought, this is one little thing we can do to appease your brother that has honestly tried to take everything from you. It's a small reminder that when you try to appease evil, it never works. When you try to give a little, when wickedness is involved, it always spreads. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. Just listen to that. What he's really saying is, I promise But we also should remember what Jesus said, right? Don't make oaths and don't swear because you might not be able to keep it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Listen to his response. Ask for him the kingdom also. For he is my older brother. For him and for Abathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. Solomon recognizes that his mom is being used by somebody. 
And friends, you need to know in life, there will be people who have no idea how they're being manipulated by someone else. It happens in church all the time. Husbands manipulated by a wife that doesn't like something at church. Deacons manipulated by other deacons when they don't like the preacher. It happens. That's how churches are split. Not because most people want to split a church. It's usually one person who hates God and the things of God begins to influence other people. Well, you know, those sermons are just so long. Or how many times do we have to hear about how wicked he was before he was saved? Or aren't you tired of the music? Or man, wouldn't we have had a different Sunday school teacher? Other people influence people who have no idea how they're being led astray. And tonight I want to encourage you as this new year begins to be a person who knows the will of God for your life. Knows what the Word of God says for how we are to love and to live. And so then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. He says, I call on God as my witness that this can't be my mother. This couldn't have been her idea. There's no way she would undermine the kingdom and destroy my kingship on her own. And he says, if Adonijah didn't do it, he said, Lord, you can do it to me. What it's saying is, I am guaranteeing everything I am and everything the Lord is that someone else is behind this. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. He says, God has shown me that what is going on here. Friends, today I want to encourage you with something. You have to be very careful when you are discerning the will of God for your life. You have to be very careful to know what the Scripture says. But do not think for one minute that God saved you. God gave you a purpose and a plan for your life and said, I'm not going to give you any direction for how to do it. That is not how God works. God gave us instructions for how to be a child of God in His Word. God gave us instructions about how to be a spouse according to His Word. God gave us instructions about how to be a church. God gave us instructions about how to be witnesses in a lost community. And so you and I need to remind ourselves that God did not save us, equip us, call us His children, and leave us blind. We should trust Him. I told this at Heritage Woods and I'll tell it here today because I love making fun of myself. I preached the first service. During Sunday school, I'm walking in the lobby and all of my hair, I hear a pop. I'm thinking, oh no. I'm at the age and weight where this could go bad. But then I realize something starts hitting me in the gut. And I'm going, have I blown a tire? What's the deal here? It was my belt. It gave out and blew open. And I thought, if you can't even trust your belt, you know that you've gotten fat, right? And so it's the first time I've ever preached without a belt on. Someone said, are you worried your pants are going to fall down? I said, you couldn't get a piece of string up here in this gap. I'm not worried they're falling down. But we have to trust God. We have to trust Him in situations. We have to trust that God is not going to leave us blind. My children hang out with me here today at church 
after we did church at Heritage Woods, and uh, I was in the restroom, and they decided that they would go from one building to the other outside. What they didn't realize was that door locks when it shuts, and that one locked when it was shut. So they locked them outside on the warmest day of the year. Finally, after some time, they got themselves into the building. One of my kids is like, well, it was cold, but it was cool. My other kids over here, I thought we were never going to make it. Because how are we? Sometimes we struggle with fear and other people's don't. There are certain situations that you will face that you will be able to trust God in totally. But there will be other situations that other people might not struggle, but that you might have confidence in God. Remember, though, not to be led astray to know what God's plan and purpose is for your life. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that we have to be on guard, not to be led astray. Little children, lead not one, deceive you. That word for deceive means led astray. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about not people being warned, but people who have gone astray. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed, or been led astray. You see, the Bible tells us to not be led astray. It tells us there are people who will be led astray. But it also warns us of other people trying to lead us astray. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Tonight, I hope, after 12 years of being your pastor, 12 short years... For some of you, you're thinking it has felt like a decade. You're right, a little bit more. Some of you think it's felt like two decades or three decades. There is a reason that I beg you, that I plead with you to bring your Bible and to take notes and write things down. Why? Because, friends, there might come a day when someone else stands behind this desk who tries to lead you astray. There might be a day when something happens in my heart when I unwillingly try to lead you astray. And it is your responsibility to not be. It is your responsibility as a church member when someone whose heart is not in the right place tries to lead you astray. You're not going to get to stand before God someday and say, well, I was led astray, Lord, I didn't know. No, the spirit of truth lives within you. And you and I are to be led by Him, not to be deceived by the foolishness of this world. As a father with little children, it's my great desire for my kids to have Christian friends. I didn't say church friends, because I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of kids that go to church and adults that go to church that are not Christians. But I mean real Christian friends that will help lead them, help guide them, that they can challenge each other, that they might grow up in the faith and not be led astray. It's no excuse when a kid falls in with a bad crowd and runs from God, but I'm telling you, it makes it a whole lot easier. And so we have to teach our children to be on guard. We have to teach our men in the workplace and women in the workplace. When somebody begins to be overly friendly with you, be very careful. 
Because what starts as a friendship can many times be out of control and into something sinful. And so we teach the Word of God to be on point and to do what God has asked us to do. Third and final thing, we've seen that not all people take advantage of second chances. We've seen that leadership means that knowing some people are being led astray. And third and finally, we should be leaders who show mercy and grace, but there also comes a time for judgment. Look what it says in verse 25. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehadiah, and he struck him down and died. You say, I can't believe this. This is vengeance. This is terrible. We looked a few weeks ago about how the government has a role to play. King Solomon was not executing this brother of his because he upset him. No, because he was trying to destroy what God was doing. Don't miss that tonight. The kingdom of Israel was unlike any other nation that has ever existed. It was a theocracy. It reported directly to God. The king was appointed by God to rule the nation. To rule the nation in a way that loved God. And how that king ruled and the nation followed required God to bless or to punish. Unlike any other nation the world has ever seen. And so when someone tried to tear the kingdom apart, it wasn't just an earthly battle, it was a spiritual battle. It was trying to destroy the vehicle that God was using to fulfill His purpose and plans in the world. Think about it like this. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible talks about our salvation. About when we claim to be a child of God, but decide to run back to the wickedness that we knew before. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, starting in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. What that says is, if you have truly been saved and willfully run from the faith and abandon the faith, if you could lose your salvation, you could never get it back again. Because Jesus cannot die on the cross again for your sins. He died once, for all. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, if you could lose it, you can never get it back. There is nothing that can keep you saved more than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. So it teaches here that you can lose your salvation, get it, lose it, get it. It's not biblical because Jesus is not dying for you again. But the question is, well, is it teaching that you can lose it and that you're a dead person walking? Well, let's see what it goes on to say. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will be he who thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant, which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, 
the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What he's saying is, not that you had it and lost it. What he is saying is, if you have been under the preaching of the Word of God, the Spirit of God has convicted you. And if you have committed the unpardonable sin where you have said, I do not accept the gift of salvation. I know that it's real. I know that it's true. But I am saying no. What he's saying is, friends, there's nothing else that can be done for you. There's nothing else that can be done. That's it. It's the greatest demonstration of love. It's the greatest demonstration of mercy. And if two witnesses could punish you in the Old Testament, one day when you stand before God, there will be no excuse. I heard the truth. I experienced the work of the Holy Spirit convicting me. And I said no. What that means is you have to believe one of two things. You have to either believe that you can lose your salvation or you believe like what I believe the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit at some point convicts everybody. And when you say no to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you never were saved, but you know that you should be. And friends, that's the great danger tonight is to hear the Word of God, to watch the Spirit of God deal with your heart. And you say, no, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to be saved. I'm not going to trust Jesus. Because what it says is the Lord will at some point say, I'm going to punish the sin in your life. Listen to how Jude describes it and then I'll be done. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What these people had done was they came into the church and said, if you've really been saved, you can live however you want. The grace of God will cover you. You can do whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. Think whatever you want. And Jesus will still forgive you. What Jude says is that is not how grace works. Once saved, always saved does not mean you get saved and live however you want. When the Spirit of God comes to indwell you at salvation, He changes you. He seals you. He secures you. He leads you. He guides you. You say, Jake, I made a profession of faith, but none of that ever happened. You were never really saved. Because what it says here is, when you experience the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, Paul said, we don't sin more because we've been given grace. Absolutely not. We know that we have been given so much, it causes us to want to live holy lives. You say, Jake, what does that have to do with Adonijah being put to death? It means that you can be extended grace and mercy. Solomon said, if, if you will be spared. 
And the Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you will repent of your sins and call upon His name, you will find forgiveness. The offer is there. Just like Solomon made the offer to Adonijah, if you will be who you're supposed to be, not one hair on your head will be harmed. And the invitation is still the same. As a child of God, God will work and move in my life if I'll let Him. But if I won't, He will discipline me. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, and the Spirit of God is dealing with you and conviction is happening, and the offer of salvation, what Jesus did on the cross to you, is being revealed to you by the Holy Spirit tonight. Know that God is saying, if you will accept my free gift of salvation, you will be saved. Not one hair on your head will be harmed. You will inherit a heavenly home where no sickness, no pain, no death, the former things of this world have passed away. Where He has prepared a mansion for you. Where you will be in His presence forever in a wonderful place called heaven. But if you do not, Friends, you will be cast into a place of eternal punishment, a place called hell, where the worm never dies, the fire is never quenched. And friends, it is an absence of the beauty and presence of God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. You see, while this was an earthly story, it is a beautiful picture of a king who is willing to offer mercy if we'll take it. And tonight I encourage you as you go into the new year, to remember that promise that God will extend mercy if you'll take it. But don't forget some people will be used by Satan and the influence of Satan and not even know it. But never forget that God is a God of second chances. Many people will waste the second chances that God gives them. But I pray for myself, for my family, and for this church that we never take advantage of the fact that God's given us another Sunday, another day, another opportunity to honor Him with the lives that He's worked in our hearts. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I pray that You'd forgive me for any sin in my heart and life. Lord, I pray that You'd work during this time of invitation. And thank You so much for these special people. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.